crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other. other. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Criminy. We're your hosts, Matt and Ange, and we're going to tell you some stories. And they're probably going to be fucked up. Uh, they most certainly are today. <laughs> I will tell you that much. Mine is like, what? Why did I do this? <laughs> Basically. Basically. Just want to like mention that this month is Black History Month. It's Black History Month. So, well, here's the thing. It's Black History Month. And a lot of us are ignorant as to like the amazing things that people have done all around the world in this country in particular because our education system's lacking. So mm. let's all like educate ourselves this month and celebrate the amazing things that black people have done for for everyone. Yeah. Everyone take some time to learn something new, learn about a new person that you didn't know about in the black community and let's celebrate our diversity and embrace each other. This has been your PBS special for the <laughs> week. <laughs> Brought to you by the letter B for Black History Month. Paid for by viewers like you. <laughs> <laughs> we wish. <laughs> for whatever reason, we were talking about Gargoyles the other day. And then yeah. Zachary was like, I used to love that show. And yeah. I was like, you saw Gargoyles because he's like not a cable kid. And I thought it was on cable. And every time no. I like bring something up to him where I was like, oh, remember that show? He's like, no. And I'm like, damn it. But then he remembered Gargoyles. And I was like, that show was amazing. Was that Disney? No, no, not no. It was. Uh... No, it may have been Disney because uh, um, the Hunchback was disney yeah, well that's what i thought but then i don't know like i don't know I... anyway it was a good show and then for once we had a show in common from childhood and i was like of all yeah. shows gargoyles gargoyles was the shit i don't remember it anything about it show. i just remember that it was awesome well there's probably like the dumb gargoyle because there's always like yeah there's always like the the trio you know it was like the smart brainy one and then like the dumb one and then and the then, muscle <laughs> and then the muscle or like yep. the normal one. <laughs> not that brainy is not normal. Not that dumb is not normal, but just like, you know, the basic, the basic mm -hmm. bitch. Yeah. The basic bitch. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So brought to you by the letter B and G for gargoyle. And now we're <laughs> going to do some cold reading. Everyone. We're psychic. Uh, okay. Yeah. Letter B, letter G. I'm getting a... <laughs> Color gray. Some kind gray? of shape. There's a shape. Could be a square. Could be a circle. Perhaps <laughs> a hexagon? Could be I'm like a... a round square. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of, not at all. Yeah. Uh, tell me your story. I'm going to tell you my story. It's, it's sad and fucked up and kind of like... Oh, so. Oh, good. Go. Well, I'm so glad you're about to tell me that. 
I know. As I was writing it, I was like, why? Why am I doing this? But I just kept Bumming going. yourself out. I just kept going for some reason. So I got my information from Crime and Investigation, uh, Wikipedia, the law pages, which was like a write-up of the court case, which mm-hmm. was very helpful. And then The Week and New York Post and New Zealand Herald and wow, Cambridge News. Okay. So Got a lot of sources this week. I did, yeah. And then there were a bunch of sources, like always, where it's like the same exact article, but with someone right. else's like name or whatever that I didn't include. And then I just got like little bits and pieces from here and there. Mm-hmm. And also, this is kind of like an epic. So here we go. Okay, buckle up. Joanne Dennehy was born in 1982 and grew up near St. Albans, Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire? Hot Probably her <laughs> uh, She lived with her mother, Kathleen, her father, Kevin, and a younger wait, sister named Maria. Wait, wait. Where is this Hertfordshire shire? England. Okay. I thought Where so, but I didn't know if it was England or New England, you know. Could be one of the many Englands. No, it's somewhere in England. Okay. In Hertfordshire, England. Hertfordshire. By all accounts, her upbringing was a stable and loving one. And her sister Maria said that Joanne was a great kid and the favorite of their parents. Mm. That older sibling favoritism thing. We are really cool. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the OG sibling. Yeah, we did it first. So Parents are like... Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because like they're like, oh my god, look what he can do. And then when you do it, it's like, well, he did it first. It's already been done before. <laughs> <laughs> We're bored of it. It's not interesting anymore. What a copycat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Joanne did well in school, but when she was 15, she dropped out and ran away from home. Oh. Uh-oh. She began experimenting with alcohol and drugs, and she started hanging out with petty criminals. What was going on at home, Joanne? Well, her parents tried to get her to come home. At some point when she was 15, she got into a relationship with a dude named John Treanor, and Mm. he was 20 when she was 15. Yucky. When she turned 16, she moved in with him, and her parents, like, couldn't do anything about it, basically. Huh. So the couple eventually had two children together, And as their kids grew, John and others in the family and, like, friends and neighbors noticed that Joanne was, like, increasingly narcissistic. She would put her own wants and desires above everyone else, even her kids. Mm -hmm. And she was also super violent. So by this time, Joanne was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And she and John would, like, fight and argue all the time. And she was super abusive towards him. Hmm. One neighbor recalled that Joanne was a nightmare. The neighbor said that she was trouble from the start. She hit him all the time. He would have black eyes and marks on his face. Whoa. I mean, this is like, I thought it was going to go the other way. Yeah. He's the older dude. And I mean, of course, we don't know for sure. But like, all this seems like something that would stem out of like her own personal abuse 
no or or mental illness or something yeah because... I think it's more of like a personality disorder and yeah, you'll okay. see why well uh, well once you said that she started getting narcissistic about it I was like something about that like when you're you know when you're abused and abusing others usually like you hate yourself anyway right well when she like when she's you know 15 you know yeah. you're kind of at the beginning of puberty and that's when a lot of like uh personality disorders come right. about right. so her like moving out and getting into like drugs and alcohol at such a young age and then you know meeting up with this guy who was older and her parents Which are like losing control who well i mean if she's hanging out with like you know She's, like, just doing drugs and drinking oh, and hanging true. out with, like, other probably people who are kind of, like, slacking off. and yeah. yeah. And then she's, like, you know, probably kind of manipulative and mm. anyway. So she's super abusive. And at the same time, she was also self-harming. Mm. So she would cut yeah. her stomach with knives and razor blades. Oof. And she also seemed to develop, like, a hatred for her mother and she would just, oh. like, go on rants about her mom, even though, by all accounts, like, her mom was a lovely person. Her upbringing was, like, completely stable. And just, like, out of nowhere, she decided that her mom was, like, horrible. Huh. Well, it seems like out of nowhere she decided that... Is his name John? Yeah, John. That John was, you know, like... she. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. This is... It's... Yeah. It's a lovely story. So it's beautiful so far. <laughs> it's, like, really romantic. So at some point, John had enough. He was like, this is too much for me. So he yeah. kicked her out. Good. So then she like has nowhere. She's like shelterless at this point. And then he moved north, taking the kids with him. Uh-huh. So he said, I really believe Joe is evil, pure and simple. That's why I took the girls as far away from her as possible. Well, that's good. I mean, so that's his baby mama protecting that's the great. kids. It's good, though. I mean, like, it's good yeah. that he jumped into action. I mean, eventually, I'm sure it took a long time, but it always does. Yeah, yeah. It's a hard thing. Yeah, it's a hard thing to leave your partner, especially when you have kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just all complicated. So yeah, he left. He's like goodbye. So. Joanne was a petty criminal herself. She had served time in a juvenile detention facility for burglary. She was super manipulative. She had no remorse for her actions. She didn't have empathy. She is just all around. uh, A real sweetheart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2012, Joanne was arrested and convicted of theft. There she underwent a psychological evaluation in prison Mm -hmm. uh she was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder uh she was diagnosed with underlying psychopathic traits like rage impulsivity violence and anger and she was prescribed medication to regulate her moods so in 2013 a year later joanne met 48 year old kevin lee in the town of peterborough Kevin had rented out cheap rooms to people who were vulnerable, like Mm. Joanne, Mm -hmm. and she needed a place to live. So his business partner was like, "Uh, fuck no, we're not renting to her because she's crazy. But (laughs) Kevin was like, no, we have to give her a chance. Like, this is what we're doing. We have homes for people. Like, we need to help her out. So Kevin was like a husband and a father. He had a lovely family. Everyone just like, you know 
loved him. Mm-hmm. And he had compassion for Joanne and he just really wanted to help her. So he began paying rent for Joanne, like letting her stay in one of the rooms. Mm. And he would like find her several rooms in different properties to kind of like move her around because she didn't really get along with anyone. <laughs> oh my God. You're like, you're and, trying to do a nice thing and now it's becoming a burden. <laughs> well, he became infatuated with her. Oh, was so, she hot? <laughs> she's just manipulative. Yeah. So over the period of several months, she led Kevin to believe that she had been abused as a child. She mm. claimed that her father had raped her beginning when she was like five or six. And Oof. at some point she got pregnant. Ew. She said that she lost the baby and then she killed her father. Oh, and she, oh my God. She, yeah, she showed them the scars on her arms and stomach and said that that like that was from the abuse that she had suffered when she was little and that because of murdering her father she was in prison for 13 years okay that's a really weird thing to lie about so kevin had like compassion for her you know he was like man she's been through like horrible horrible shit we've got to like help her out you know uh-huh. with a story like that who wouldn't have compassion right like this woman just keeps running into like problem after problem she just needs a break right but in reality <laughs> she the scars were because of her uh-huh. she had like done that to herself and her family was like decent and she had a good home <laughs> yeah so kevin also gave joanne a job in his property renting business Joanne kind of acted as his enforcer. So she would like threaten and intimidate people into paying outstanding rent and other debts. Shit. And since, since like she, he was like basically paying her rent and she had a job and she was like kind of like on the right track. You know, she felt like Uh she was on the right track and she was like, she felt super stable for the first time in a long time. So, of course, since she felt like she was fine, she stopped taking her antipsychotic medications. Ah, yes, yes. As is common to do. Great. Yeah. Oh, Joanne, this is going to go badly. And she was known among neighbors as the man woman. What? Because she was super (laughs) aggressive and intimidating. And they said, I guess she was like a man. Oh, I don't know. Oh my god! Yeah, because women aren't allowed to be strong and right, <laughs> or like man super woman. aggressive. So she was like man the man woman, woman. and <laughs> and <Like>. then <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Which not the like, most clever. Yeah, but. no, it's not clever at all, at all. No. But then again, I can't come up with anything right now on the spot that's, that's more, more clever. clever than man so woman. I guess so. It we're going man woman for them. <laughs> <laughs> and then. If like so Kevin at some point like didn't pay her for her enforcer work or maybe he was like late in paying her. So then she said that she was gonna fucking kill him. Oh shit, she's gonna bounce him. Yeah. So she's intense. <laughs> uh so on March nineteenth, twenty thirteen, a thirty one year old Polish immigrant named Lucas Slabosowski Oh, Slabosowski. <laughs> I'm going to call him Lucas because, okay, that's easier. you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he got a text from Joanne and they they had met like a few days earlier on the streets of Peterborough. And Lucas, he he like texted a friend like after he met her 
and he was like he was like i have a i have like an english girlfriend and he was like super oh. excited about <laughs> the chance of like them having a relationship mm-hmm. he had come to the uk in 2005 and he was like living there. I guess he may have struggled struggled with some like addiction issues himself. Uh-huh. But he like met Joanne and he he was like, Life is beautiful. I have like this English girlfriend. I'm like finally on the right track. I'm like super excited about all this. Mm. So Joanne texted Lucas and invited him to her like I so I'm kind of confused because some of them said that like her flat but then she, i think she was living in like boarding houses basically where i think she just had like a room i think mm, maybe oftentimes. like a flat is just referring to her place yeah so she invited him to her place mm-hmm. uh and they drank and they chatted and then she like persuaded him to put on a blindfold oh, as part no. of like a game that they were playing Mm-mm, we're not playing a game joanne and then when lucas oh, uh no was blindfolded she like pulls out a knife and stabs him through what? the heart what 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 joanne you're esca what, what you're escalating things and went from like okay well right. she's already like aggressive like her job already is to be like a man woman and be aggressive <laughs> that is true she is a man woman so naturally she'd want to be stabby yeah she's a stabby man woman as man men women tend to be right <laughs> so <laughs> Fuck. So he just goes over there thinking yep. like we're hanging out on a date and stuff and then yeah. we're going to do something sexy time thing and yeah. blindfold and stab. Yes. Fuck. Yep. So. She sucks. She sucks so much. <laughs> okay. So then because she couldn't get rid of his body alone. Because yeah, she's a man woman, but still like there's a man man in her house. She can't like get rid of his body. So Joanne called up a friend of hers named Gary Stretch Richards. Stretch is his nickname. Stretch. He okay. he was a known criminal, and he was seven foot three. Holy! No wonder he's a known criminal. You can't miss him. <laughs> Jesus. So he's a giant, and by all accounts, he was like under Joanne's spell, and he oh, would just wow. like be happy to do anything for her. You're gonna find yeah. a lot of people are under her spell, and I don't know why. She has this star, green star, tattooed on her cheek. What? Yeah. Let me look up a picture. Of look her. up a picture. And then she has like a tongue ring. She's always like sticking her tongue out in pictures. Ew, and it's like. I hate when people stick their tongue out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, I remember seeing pictures of this bitch. What? You do? Don't yes. look up anything else. No, like the one with the one picture of her holding that like knife thing with yeah. the tongue sticking out. Yeah. And like, yeah, ew. I remember those pictures because I was like, ew. <laughs> ew. Yeah. Icky. So a lot of these, so a lot of these, when you like tell me stories, I'm like, what do they look like? But it's not yeah. about looks. It's like they're just charming and like manipulative. Yeah. And they just get like all true. these people. And then since I like, I feel like I'm not, I'm not good at <laughs> manipulating people. So I'm always like, what do they like? What is it? But well, I guess like part. Like, well, because when you just see a picture, you're just seeing like a flat image. But like when you're around someone, people throw energy out, you know, like. 
They do. And I think part of her thing was like her sob story. I'm sure she told a lot of people that like, oh, yeah. you know, and then so then normal or like nice, you know, compassionate people are kind of like, oh, my God, you poor thing. I need to like you help poor, you. Poor man, woman. No wonder Let you kind of suck because you. your life was shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. But um, anyway, it's going to get worse. So. Oh, good. So Gary shows up and he brings an associate of his named Leslie Layton. Yeah, they're all associates. (laughs) And together they move Lucas's body to a wheelie bin, which I'm not really sure what that is, but I'm assuming it's like a trash can. That's what I was kind of thinking. Put in the street. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. With the wheels, yeah. So they put him in his body in a wheelie bin outside a nearby block of flats, and then. So his body's in like this wheelie bin and then Joanne brings over a 14-year-old girl that she had befriended and what? like shows her the body. Joanne, why do you have 14-year-old friends? Why and are you all- showing I- them dead bodies? Like why would you show anyone that? Why uh-huh. did you even do that? Cuz she's a it psycho bitch. It doesn't I don't know. seem like there was any like actual thing to set her off or you know it was just like no, nope. oh, I'm just going to kill someone today. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, yeah, so it's going to get even worse. Oh, good. Then, then, so then the body, his Lucas's body is in this wheelie bin. And so she's like, we have to like move the body, obviously. So she starts looking for a vehicle with the express purpose of moving and disposing of his body. She borrowed mm-hmm. money from Kevin, the landlord, oh. to buy this car and what? she ended up finding a car and Gary went with her to pick it up. And then later that evening, she and Gary drove around looking for a place to dump his body. And they chose Thorny Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. I guess. Yeah, I bet not many people go to Thorny Dyke. It sounds very uninviting. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> so Joanne and Gary had lived kind of by that area a few years earlier and so days later, they got his body and threw him into the ditch. Oh, and then they kept saying, God. like, oh, this is, like, the, his body will never be discovered. Like, this is so this is so great. We're so clever. Like, this is For a great no place to put his reason. body. No reason. No, no reason. No reason. This poor fucking guy who just thought he was going to yep. have a girlfriend. This young guy, he, like, moved to the UK. He's, like, super excited that he just, like, yeah, met this girl that he was, like, oh, Nope. And his family and friends are all like in Poland thinking that he's doing stuff in England and And he's, he's like dead. texting a friend, like I'm so excited that I met this person, life is so good. And then he just And then a few days later, yeah, he's gone. So on the twenty eighth of March in two thousand thirteen, Joanne went to the room of her neighbor, forty six year old John Chapman, with some alcohol. So this is another, I think, boarding house situation where they both lived in the same house and they both were, like, renting a room. Okay. So the pair, like, drank and hung out. They chit-chatted. And then at some point, Chapman passed out drunk. And using the same knife that she had used to kill Lucas nine days earlier, Joanne stabbed John Chapman six times. What? She stabbed him once in the neck, severing the carotid artery, and five times in the chest. Two of the stab wounds penetrated his heart, 
And Holy one shit. of the stabs was so forceful that it went through his breastbone. Holy shit. Like, She's feel your breastbone. That shit is tough. Man woman. Yeah. Man woman strength. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. That's, that's fucking horrible. brutal. Yeah, you're sleeping horrible. and then you get stabbed? E- yeah. Yeah. Ugh. You're just having like an evening with someone that you think is like, you know, an acquaintance or friend or whatever. It's like, oh, let's party. And then, yep. And Ugh. so John didn't have any defensive wounds. And his blood alcohol level was four times the legal limit. So obviously, she, mm. obviously she had stabbed him while he was like passed out. Yeah. So... John Chapman was described as a kindly, harmless, and inoffensive man, which I feel like is so British <laughs> to describe someone as inoffensive. <laughs> well, you know, he's pretty uh, inoffensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He had served in the Royal Navy, but he had an alcohol addiction and he was in a tough spot. Like, obviously, he was yeah. living in a boarding house and. Yeah. So he wasn't doing the best. And then, obviously, Joanne took advantage of that. She was like, mm-hmm. oh, you're in a tough spot. Let me just bring you some alcohol, feed your addiction, and then murder you for no reason. <sighs> and day, like a few days before she killed him, Gary, Leslie, and Joanne had all spent time in John Chapman's room just hanging out and drinking. And Joanne and Le- Leslie both lived on the same floor as John. So they just so like all like live together. Regu- this is a regular face, like almost like a roommate or a housemate. He's like a housemate. And they've all like they've all like hung out and partied like a few days before. So he's probably like, oh, same thing. Like they're gonna bring some alcohol. We're just gonna like party, whatever. Yeah. Yep. And Fuck. then Joanne claimed she like told another woman that she had killed John because he came into the bathroom when she was in the bathtub and he wouldn't leave. So okay. she was like she so threatened she, like, him. Leapt out of the bathtub. No, naked, no. Got some clothes on and started stabbing. No, him she's more was... schemy than that. No, mm. it was like days before he had seen her in the oh. bathtub, and she's like, "Get out!" And he was like, "No." So then she threatened him and was like, "I'm gonna get you out of here, any way possible, like by oh. any means necessary. You're not gonna live here anymore." But what was probably closer to the truth is that John wasn't really fond of Joanne, and uh. he told another tenant that Joanne was quote the mad woman and he had had problems with her so that's yeah i can't imagine living with her or like being no acquaintances with her it seems like everything is so volatile yes she's just like psychotic like insane so yeah so the fact that he he like wanted joanne to leave and like had a lot of problems with her so joanne's like oh well then fuck you i'm gonna murder you then oh my god so, again, Gary and Leslie Layton were called upon to help get rid of John's body. Leslie first saw his body early that morning because he lived in the same place. Mm-hmm. And he took a picture with his phone of John's body. Idiot. And then they used... So he... Okay, so for okay, so they took John's phone and they called Gary at six thirty four a.m. and then what? and then he took a picture of John's body with his phone at seven thirty two a.m. He used Gary. He used his phone. He he used the victim's phone. Yes. to call 
their third goon. Yeah, and I guess that John had called Gary before, but never, like, that early in the morning. So, obviously, mm. like, something was weird. And they also, like, just took his phone, or they, like, used his phone, like, later on. So, oh, they just, like, God. don't give a fuck. So, then, so, then Gary came by. Okay, so, okay, picture this. <laughs> Leslie and Joanne live in this house with John. Les, I mean, Joanne's like, hey, Leslie, come check this out. They go over. Leslie sees this body of this dead housemate. He mm-hmm. calls Gary. He's Wait, like, were both of her victims named John? Oh, no, her boyfriend was John, huh? Yeah, the her, hus- okay, her husband. Her, her boy, or whatever. The baby daddy. The was baby John. daddy, John. Okay, I knew yeah. there was another John. Okay. So I know I was going to call him by his last name because John, John. And then there's like Kevin, the landlord, and I think her dad's Kevin. So it's well, weird. They only have a handful of names in England that they're allowed to choose That's from, right. I think. <laughs> uh, well, John's like the name for everyone everywhere. That's like yeah. one of the handfuls of names for everyone, no matter where you are. So, True. So anyway, they go into the room. Leslie sees John's body. He's like, let's call Gary. They call Gary. Then he's like, I'm going to take a picture. He takes a picture. <laughs> and then... Then Gary shows up. And then Leslie's like, okay, I got to go shopping with a friend. So then he leaves... And then later on in the afternoon, he meets up with Gary and then they like hang out. And then in the evening that day, they move John Chapman's body and dumped it in the same ditch, Thorny Dyke, along with Lucas. So this is like a whole day. Go get the wheelie bin. Take it to the Thorny Dyke again. Yeah. This whole day, their housemate is dead in the room. They all know it and they're just like super casual about it. I'm like, oh man, we gotta clean this up soon. The Someone next day, uh-huh. Joanne invited Kevin Lee, the landlord, uh-huh. to her flat or room or whatever mm-hmm. under the guise of a sexual encounter. Oh. So I guess they had like this um like fantasy fetish thing. I don't know what you want to call it, but so she like planned on dressing him up she like texted him this that she was going to mm-hmm. dress him up and rape him oh and don't he i guess this okay. is something that they had done before i don't know because then he told a friend of his that that's what they were going to do like less than an hour before he went to joanne's okay so i guess this so was it just seemed like, like they just kind of had like some kind of sexual relationship so it was pretty n- normal for her to be like yeah. Hey, we're going to try this fantasy. Well, I think they like, had done great. it before, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, it was like, you know, normal for him, like normal enough for him to like tell a friend that that's what they were going to do. So. Right. right. <laughs> Sorry, I can't catch the cricket game. I'm going to go uh, over to Joanne's. Yeah. So he goes to Joanne's and Joanne stabbed Kevin five times in the chest. Oh, Joanne. The wounds penetrated his heart and both lungs. Damn, she's brutal. He actually did have defensive wounds. So obviously he was fighting back. He wasn't like, you know, drugged or drunk or passed out Mm -hmm. or anything. And then she dressed him up in one of her like black sequin dresses and dumped him in another ditch eight miles away from Thorny Dyke. And she, so she did this with, like, the help of Gary. And I guess what she did was she, like, posed his body with, like, his, his like, butt showing. 
she like pulled the dress up just to like really uh, humiliate him because he was Jesus. like a father and a husband and she's just like a real bitch and so okay all three of these murders happened in like how short of a span? Her whole spree is in the span of 10, I think 10 days. Holy shit. I okay. Yeah, it's Jesus. quick. It's really quick. So so then uh, because there were like two bodies at two different addresses, so there's Kevin's body and then there was John's body, mm-hmm. witnesses saw Joanne and Gary like trying to clean up the scenes so there were like plenty of witnesses and then Leslie was also caught on tape driving Kevin's car and filling up gas cans that were later oh, used to set God. the car on fire. So oh, everyone no. knows like who's doing this. It's just like this bumbling giant going and like filling up gas cans. Well no, the you. giant no, the giant wasn't the one filling the gas cans. Their other associate was, but Oh, okay. So even better. There's a giant who's like yeah. cleaning up an area yes. in an apartment complex. Yeah, you're not gonna notice a guy who's seven foot three, like And a chick like who's holding daggers and like licking them and like yeah. commanding him to do things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not conspicuous at all. So God. on March thirtieth and thirty first, Joanne and Gary hit out at a man named Robert Moore's house. Because, obviously, people are after them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Moore had known about some of the murders, but he was also under Joanne's spell and would do anything for her. So he, like, sheltered wow. them and, like, fed them. And he she even... She must have been, like, terrifying or something. Like, I don't know. what That you just, like, don't say no to Joanne. But they all, like, I don't know. They're all, like, into her, though. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't. Well, like, she must have been like so str- manipulative. You're like a strong woman. <laughs> well, maybe it's like, maybe part of it is like, she's just like, well, I've been so like abused. And they're like, well, we have to protect you, even though you're the one. You know, and who knows like what but stories also, like, she's it telling seems like them. If she's, I don't know. Yeah, but also it could come across as like, here's this woman who's been through so much, but she's like, you know, taking, like holding her own and yeah. like, you know, going against like grown men telling them they got to pay their rent and shit. And, like, she's a man woman. She can take care of herself. Like, that's hot. And then, like... I guess. She's, like, into doing drugs and doing weird sex things. That's fun. So, like... (laughs) I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to see it I mean, I just don't think it's worth it, but, yeah, maybe. Well, duh. Of course. (laughs) But... Seems like... Whatever. Yeah. Who who fucking knows? Like, I don't (laughs) know. But this is, like... This is just so insane. So, so anyway, she and Gary are staying with Robert in his home with his, like, young daughter. And he's, like, oh, totally no. fine. They, like, yeah. Hell no. They let them have contact with his little, his little girl. So, weird. Then, on April 2nd, 2013, Joanne and Gary burglarized a home in Norfolk. You think they say it Norfolk or Norfolk? Let's say it both ways. Norfolk folk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get all the bases covered. And then they probably say it some way that we yeah. never would have imagined. It's probably just like Norfie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they burgle the house in Norfie. And then <laughs> the day before they also burgle the house in the same area. They took valuable electronics to sell, and then they contacted an associate of Gary's named Mark Lloyd, who agreed to help them find 
places to sell the stolen goods or sell they it says fence the stolen goods like does yeah. that mean sell them yeah yeah okay Get so then more. so then they like you know, now I'm just picturing the stolen goods with little, on little a fence. fencing sword. <laughs> oh. And they're like jousting with them. Not jousting, like fencing with fencing them. Fencing with them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then Gary and then Mark Lloyd and Joanne all get into a car because he's going to fence the goods. Mm. And Joanne starts like bragging about murdering people. and Joanne. Wanting, and wanting to kill again. Oh, my God. She said that she specifically targeted men because she didn't want to kill a woman, especially not a woman with children. Oh, how kind. But she's willing to kill men with children. Yeah, she. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. She's just like, ugh. ugh. Man, woman. So then. (laughs) (laughs) So then she also told Mark. Lloyd, that she wanted to kill nine men in total because she wanted to be like Bonnie and Clyde. Hmm, she wanted to be Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. Which, weren't they like <laughs> bank robbers? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, um, I don't get her. I don't get her at all, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. So... Joanne said that she stabbed people or men because it was like entertaining for her. It's just and for funsies. Yeah, she she told Gary, "I want my fun. I need you to get my fun." Ew. So basically, like after they burgled the houses, she was like, "You just had your fun. Now I want my fun." Okay. And then she later told a psychiatrist that she found murder to be Moorish. And that after the first killing, she got a taste for it. Hmm. She was like, I wanted to see what it was like, and then I just got a real taste for it. So she really liked it. (laughs) Yeah. So the three of them are driving around in the car. And then Gary chose a victim for Joanne, like, at random. Oh, like nice. Yeah, they went to (laughs) Gary's, like, like, neighborhood that he grew up in. So he knew it really well, and he knew, like, all the streets and everything. So he spotted a 63-year-old man named Robin Brezza. Brezza. And he was walking his dog. Oh, no. And so apparently Gary, like, pulls over and he's like, will he do? And Joanne was like, yeah, or whatever. So Robin was a retired firefighter and he liked to keep fit. So he would, Mm -hmm. like, jog or walk his dog. And then that afternoon he decided to walk his dog Rather than go for a jog. Mm. Which, oh, wouldn't that... You know that, like, split second where you're just like, why did I make that decision? But also, like, I mean... Does Not he walk that it's in, his fault at all, of does course. Does he walk but, and jog in different places? Well, I don't know, but maybe he would have been harder to catch if he was... I don't know, but... No, I mean, I having know. a dog with you doesn't prevent you from running, no, but I'm just, I mean, he just, like, prepared to, you know, be, like, more mm. casual that day. Yeah. They just mentioned that he had just, you know, other oh, days yeah. he would have jogged instead, but that day he just, like, was going to be, like, casual and walk his dog, which is right. just tragic. So, Gary pulled over behind Robin so that Joanne could sneak up on him. She leapt from the car and stabbed Robin in the back of his shoulder, and then she stabbed him in the upper right arm. 
He turned and faced her and was like, what are you doing? And she said, I want to hurt you. I'm going to fucking kill you. (gasps) He tried to fight her off and they ended up like in the middle of the road. So Gary is like creeping up along like behind them, basically like following them in their attack. And then another car showed up on that street. So then Gary yelled at Joanne to get in the car. And then she like kind of calmly like walks back into the car And then she, like, gets in the car, and she and Gary look over at the driver of the car that just pulled up next to them, Uh and they both smile. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. So they left Robin, like, collapsed in the street. Uh, He was stabbed twice, and his injuries were really serious. The stab to his back penetrated his chest wall, bruising a lung and fracturing a rib. And the other stab wound shattered his shoulder blade and fractured the bone in his upper arm. And that bone is tough, you Mm. know? Mm -hmm. She's like stabbing with serious force. Yes, man force. That man force. (laughs) (laughs) So because of Joanne didn't succeed in actually killing another person, she told Gary to find her someone else. Oh my God, but now there's a witness. There are so many witnesses already. Like, they already know that the police are after them. They're just like, they just, ugh. They're just going all out at this point. I don't know. So then nine minutes later, they spot another man walking his dog. 56-year-old John Rogers lived in the area and was on this, like, walking path that Mm -hmm. a lot of dog walkers used. Mm -hmm. It was, like, a very common space to, like, walk dogs. So, okay. So um, Gary, like, pulls into this cul-de-sac that he knew that the dot, like, the path was going to cross in front of. So basically he, like, pulls in and they, like, wait for him to pass. And then Joanne, like, attacked him from behind again. She stabbed him more than 30 times. Holy shit. This woman's insane. She's insane. He was, she stabbed him in his chest, abdomen, and back. Both of his lungs collapsed. Oh, my God. His bowel was perforated and exposed. Oh, no. Nine of his ribs were fractured. Holy shit. And he had wounds to his hands and arms. And that was just her attacking him. Yeah, that's just all Joanne. Man woman. Yeah. So... So she thought he at the at some point after, you know, more than 30 stabs, she was like, okay, he's dead for sure. And then she like left him on the ground and took his dog. What? I don't know. What a bitch. So I don't know what happened to the dog. I I wish I knew. But yeah. So. So unlike the first two victims, Kevin, the landlord, had a wife and a family. So Mm -hmm. they reported him missing. His body was discovered on the 30th of March by a member of the public who I think I think he was walking his dog. I want to say he was walking his dog and then like looked down a ditch and saw his body. Oh, God. So once he his body was identified, he. It was like discovered that, you know, he was having this affair with Joanne. So then she became a person of interest. So she becomes like a person of interest. The other two, they don't they don't know about yet. So then and Robin and John both survived their attacks. Wow. Yeah. So they were able to describe their attacker to the police. 
So they like, you know, they're building like a pretty strong case with all these witnesses and stuff. And the bodies of Lucas and John were discovered on the 3rd of April, but they didn't like make a connection between their death and Kevin's death because they're like found in different areas and, you know, why not dump all the bodies together? But yeah, especially if you found two in the same area, you'd assume like that's their dumping ground. Yeah. So upon her arrest, which I think happened not that long after she stabbed John Rogers, Mm -hmm. she, they said that she was like super calm and that when she was led to a cell, she was singing, singing in the rain. Oh my, that I think is the most terrifying thing that you've told me this whole time. Well, doesn't, in A Clockwork Orange, doesn't the dude sing yes. Singing in the Rain? Yeah. So, gross. <laughs> that movie uh, is so creepy. I mean, you know, she's she's doing what she wants and getting attention and making like a negative impact and getting that like reaction from people. So it's all about like. Yeah. Making people uncomfortable. So the night that she stayed over at the one dude's house, like when they were like in hiding or whatever, I guess they're watching the news and the news said that they were looking for her. They like mentioned her on the news and she was like super excited about it and was like jumping around and she was like so thrilled that she was like getting attention. She's famous. Yeah. Gross. So on May 8th, 2013... Joanne was charged with the murder of Kevin Lee and the attempted murders of Robin Bereza and John Rogers. She was 31. Wow. At the time. So later, (laughs) later they found the connection between Lucas and the other Lucas, John Chapman, and then the other victims. So then she was, she was like charged with their murders too. And a pathologist found that the exact same knife had been used on all five victims. Oh my God. So she's in prison, obviously waiting trial and prison staff found an escape plot in her diary. (laughs) Okay. The plan involved killing or seriously injuring a prison guard severing off one of their fingers and using it to fool the biometric system in the prison. (laughs) Oh my God. And I mean, she would if given the chance. A hundred percent. She would. She would. So because of that, she was placed in solitary confinement from September 13th before the court proceedings to Mm -hmm. sorry, September, 2013. Did I, what did I say? I don't even know. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so she was there from September 2013 to September 2015 after (gasps) the court proceedings. She was in solitary for two years? Yes. But seriously, are you really going to let her out? Like, she's crazy and terrifying, and she's, like, making escape plans to murder more people. Right, that's the thing. Like, she's dangerous to be around other people, but, like, how incredibly damaging it is to people to you know just for humans to be in solitary but then it's like yeah but this but bitch, what do you do with her like yeah what do you do with her you can't yeah. put anyone in her cell she'll find anything to stab them with just for no reason she'll need a reason yeah so she Ooh. claims that being in solitary for that long left her and i quote tearful and upset 
Oh, poor and baby. Led to self harm, which, like, I mean, I know solitary is like super bad. Um, it's really bad. Like my brain Detri- feels like I've been detrimental. In solitary. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, yeah, for it's your detrimental mental to health, your, for your, yeah, mental, your mental, emotional, physical, even just like just everything. I know humans it's bad. need interaction. It's uh, like a but at the same time, thing. it's like she tr- she murdered three innocent men tried to murder two others and now Mm. she's like oh i'm upset because i was in solitary it's like bitch like you're gonna hurt people yeah you don't play nice with others (laughs) you can't be trusted around people what do you do with someone like that exactly i don't know do there's more to the story so on november 21st 2013 joanne pleaded guilty to all charges Mm -hmm. which some people were surprised but her sister maria was like no she said i think that she did that to control the situation she likes people to know she's the boss oh so it's like basically in her you're not gonna accuse me i'll say i did it before you say i did it yeah basically she's like i'm in control of the situation you don't get to put me on trial where my where my life is up in the air i know what's gonna happen to me Mm. so after she was sentenced she went straight to the old bailey for sentencing oh sorry for sentencing not after she was sentenced okay (laughs) so she goes straight to the old bailey and mark lloyd testified against her mark lloyd who was the one who was going to fence the stolen goods Mm -hmm. he said that he was an unwilling spectator and he wasn't charged with any crimes he said at some point like gary held him back basically and like kept him in the car and he was he like didn't want to be there so he was um he testified against her okay and then on february 10th 2014 gary stretch richards was found guilty of attempted murder <laughs> leslie layton was found guilty of preventing oh perverting the course of justice uh so layton and richards were both convicted of a bunch of charges including three counts of preventing the lawful burial of a body Mm. so like at some point during the trial um leslie layton was like no i was an unwilling participant like i was just afraid for my life and they're like you had days where you could have like reached out to someone you went shopping and you could have like (laughs) stopped and called the police like you were definitely part of this like no so then yeah on february 28th of 2014 at the old bailey Joanne was sentenced to life imprisonment. The trial judge, Mr. Justice Spencer, recommended that she should never be released. He said that this was justified due to the premeditation of each murder. He said that she had shown no remorse and that in a letter that she had written to him, she told him basically that, like, I don't regret it. (laughs) Oh, jeez. So... As part of her defense, she said that she did regret the attempted murders and that she had blamed them on drunken cruelty, plain and simple, compelled by my lack of respect for human life. Okay, so... Which I think, really, she regrets the attempted murders because she didn't murder them. Definitely. Because they survived, not because yeah, she didn't get of away any with other it. reason. Because mm-hmm. she, she was trying to get to nine. Yep. So she told a psychiatrist that she killed to see how she would feel. She said to see if I was as cold as I thought and that the (sighs) killings were kind of a fetish 
and that uh, she said huh. that she was sadistic and like yeah. she said yeah. she was sadistic herself so she was diagnosed with severe emotionally unstable personality disorder oh, and a f- a form of antisocial personality disorder her disorder is characterized by superficial charm, callous disregard for others, pathological lying, and diminished capacity for remorse. And she does not have a normal range of emotions and doesn't no. feel personal attachment. No, she's just, I, I mean, she's the scariest kind of killer because it's yes. like there's no rhyme or reason anyone will do and just because she, like, feels the need to, to murder and it has nothing to do with, like, you know, anything else. It's just because she wants to. Just for funsies. Yep. Ooh. So Joanne is one of only three women in the UK to be told that her life sentence would mean life, like, all, mm. their whole life, meaning she mm-hmm. would never get out. The other two women being... Um, Myra Hindley of the Moores murders and Rosemary West, uh, serial killer, evil bitch. So, so she's like, wow. I mean, what a booking. What a billing. Billing, booking, billing, billing, top billing of shittiest people alive. Very nice. Or dead. Very nice. You made it. After her trial, it emerged that Joanne was actually on probation at the time of her murders. Because of, she was um, convicted of assault and for owning a dangerous dog. <laughs> oh, okay. And it was ruled that her probation officers had been given inadequate training on how to deal with someone like Joanne. And mm. <laughs> that obviously she should have never been allowed to murder more people, but she did. <sighs> yeah, oh my God. So, Joanne is currently an inmate at Bronzefield Category A prison in Surrey. Bronzefield is the only purpose-built private prison solely for women in the UK, and it's the largest female prison in Europe. Wow. In May of 2016, Joanne tried to sue the British justice system because they kept her in solitary confinement for two years, Mm -hmm. Uh, but... Mr. Justice Singh said, uh, no, bitch, it was appropriate because you're, like, evil as fuck and there's no way, like, we couldn't do anything with you. It was, like, necessary. Right. And proportionate to the fact that you were going to murder a guard and cut off her finger. Like, yeah, no. And you would have definitely done it. Like, your track record is not so good for you. So she lost her case. Sad for her. And then in 2018, she launched launched a bid to marry her cellmate, Haley Palmer. Haley's family was like, fuck no. And her sister, Michelle, was like, you need to say no to this marriage because because something's going to happen to either my sister. Like, Joanne's either going to hurt my sister or my sister is going to, like, hurt herself, basically. So Michelle said, they shouldn't let people like this get together. Joanne is a psychopath. It's not right. And I'm really worried for my sister's safety. Yeah. Which, well, her track record yeah. is that she's just been like somehow like manipulating and seducing everyone in her path and then just murdering. Yep. And turns out Michelle's concerns were valid because Uh-oh. both Michelle and Joanne were found in their cell covered in blood. They oh, had a God. suicide pact. 
Mm-hmm. So Joanne had cut her throat and Haley had cut her wrists, but both women were taken to the hospital and they both survived. But once back inside, Joanne tried to kill herself again, which she failed for the second time. I mean, that sucks. But um, obviously, after their suicide attempt, they weren't like cellmates. No, I don't think they were allowed to go through with their marriage. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's a huge red flag. Yeah, I think they were separated after that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Oh, and as one more bonus to this story, mm-hmm. so Joanne was sent to the same prison as Rosemary West. Right. So Rosemary West had been there for 10 years, mm-hmm. and she had gotten life in prison in 1995 for her part in 10 murders, including mm-hmm. that of her own daughter. She is a real yeah. piece of shit. Yep. So apparently Joanne threatened to do <laughs> West in. Ooh. After being transferred from Bronzeville in Surrey to Low Newton, which Low Newton is the highest security prison in England, so Joanne oh. definitely needed to be there. Yeah. So a national newspaper claimed that Rosemary West burst into tears as she was told to pack up her belongings for a transfer. (laughs) She was 65 at the time, and she was sad that she was going to lose her easy life. Oh, you piece of shit. You're not supposed to have an easy Uh life. You ruined so many other lives. Yep. A source told The Mirror, Rose West lived a life of luxury in there. She's got it made because she's in the lifers unit. She doesn't even leave her cell, and they bring her food. What? So she was gutted when she had to leave. She was in tears, and the prison officers just packed her things up. She was really upset. She didn't want to go. It's been her home for more than 10 years, and West is an elderly woman, which 65 isn't elderly, but it's like, so what, bitch? Like, you don't get to have, like, an easy life where people bring you food and you don't leave your cell? Like, fuck you. Go ahead and cry about it. Yeah, please do. Cry. so, it makes me feel better, but uh, yeah, you're a piece of shit. You don't deserve anything other than just rotting here. Yeah, you should have a hard fucking life. Like, you shouldn't get it easy. So at this point, Joanne Dennehy and Rosemary West are the only two women in British jails serving whole life sentences since the death of Myra Henley in 2002. Mm. Wow. And that's the fucked up tale of, like, one of the most dangerous women in England, if not the world. She is a terrifying man woman. Terrifying. Oh, God. Like, yeah. Like I said before, you could, anyone could be a victim. Anyone in her path that she sees that she's like, time to kill. Yep. Fuck. Yes. What a psycho. But then, like, so, like, writing that story, I was just thinking about, you know, like, a lot of these murder cases were, like, why would they, why, like, how and why? But then I just feel like with her, you know, she grew up in a loving family and she just had, like, this major personality disorder, like, this mental illness, you know? So it's, like, it's, like, not that fascinating. She just got, like, fucked up in the head somehow and now she's, like, a crazy psycho bitch. Well, I think that that's kind of the fascinating part because, like, usually you can look back on someone's life and be like, oh, they had, you know, they did this or they had this going on. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and it's, like, somehow easy, not not easier to justify, but you know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, well, you they understand, have, like, like, some okay. kind of excuse. Like, they learned this. They were, right. they were beaten. They were threatened, whatever. They, like, didn't but have then, a chance to develop empathy, basically. Right, right. So it's, like, a little bit easier to understand as opposed to, like, the human brain is so insanely complex that, like, some kind of chemical imbalance or something going on in, in her brain just made her completely 
unempathetic to anyone. And- but then it's like the thing, it's like the thing of, you know, if she was the favorite child, it's like the thing we talk about all the time. Like if right. maybe she didn't have consequences, maybe she didn't have to develop empathy because, you know, maybe she was just allowed to do whatever the hell she wanted. Mm-hmm. And then there's like this other article where the someone wrote about like how she became, you know, a serial killer, like such a yeah. horrible person when her upbringing was fine. But then then they said something about which I was like, I don't know, but I'll say it anyway. But they were like, oh, because she was like the older older sibling uh-huh. a lot of times like when the when the next sibling comes in they feel like they're being replaced and yeah. then they have to like you know they have to like act out to be like right. i'm like the i'm the one i don't know so she had like damage from but it's like okay how many people have like multiple siblings who don't yeah, feel that way it. like of course that's some i think that's something that every child goes through like that has a new sibling you're like i you know because you're you're so dependent on your parents that like it's a resource thing too where you're you're like kind of an animal as a child where you're like my resources are going to be taken away i don't want you know the other child to have my resources but then like then you get over it (laughs) well hopefully you'd get over it i would say most people normally you get over it yeah so i just like i just felt like i'm like i don't think that's an excuse like or not an excuse but i don't think that's like a valid no you know oh because she like she had a little sister so now all of a sudden yeah yeah. i was like the only explanation is for some reason she has this like mental illness personality disorder and like either her family history is bullshit and she you know something horrible horrible happened so, to her though. that like no one knows about or yeah it's some kind of because it makes sense illness. though like at 15 it just makes sense you know it falls in line with like mental illness like at 15 right. puberty your hormones are going crazy that's when you're kind of like developing personality issues mm-hmm. or like your true personality it makes sense like a lot of times that's when you know mental health issues pop up is like puberty so it just like for me it makes sense like she lived this totally normal life she was like really great student and then all of a sudden she like drops out of school and starts like experimenting with like drugs and alcohol and you know Mm. like it just seems like a natural course for someone who's like just mentally ill right is what it seems like and yeah i don't know those i i hope her children are okay because wow yeah that's rough yeah but then it was also kind of interesting because because she's a female serial killer who's Mm. like the other serial killers you know it's not like a black widow thing it's not like poisoning people thing she was like actively just like this heartless creature a man woman stabbing innocent people yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So crazy. Yeah. I don't, I mean, yeah, I would say the tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. A tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components, the person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind, they're all kinds of mixed up, there's no focus, they're disorganized. She's a tossed salad caused by scrambled eggs. (laughs) Yeah, because she just... I just, like, I don't even know if she grasps 
the fact that what she was doing was like she's so far into herself like she's so narcissistic that it's just like what it was fun for me right like and she it was like totally normal for her to like call up her goons and be like you guys gotta help me clean up and she knew that they wouldn't tell and that it would be like totally normal and they'd like giggle about other people what she did too like it wasn't just them she'd like told other people right and then when police are like looking yeah and when police are like looking for you, you're just going to go out and stab more people because you want to like get your number higher or whatever. It's like not she's like not grasping. And I'm assuming reality. it was in like broad daylight. She's just like yeah. stabbing people. Yeah. <laughs> and they smile at a car who obviously just saw you stabbing this dude yeah. and you get in the car and smile at them like uh, issues. Uh, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So maybe she is kind of a little sc- scrambled in that. She's just living in a different reality where she gets to do whatever the fuck she wants and she doesn't have the only like that's the other thing that really bothered me was her basically being like, oh, I regret like the attempted murders. I don't regret the murders. I regret I, I regret mm-hmm. the attempted murders. Because you're like, right. It was yeah, because it was she didn't you follow failed. through. It didn't finish. Yeah. Yeah. You failed your mission. That's why you regret it. Uh-huh. So she's just like a creepy bitch. <laughs> she is a creepy bitch. <laughs> Yo. Ugh. Yeah. And her stupid face tattoo. Yeah. It's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. I mean, her whole thing is so dumb. Like yeah. that, like I saw that picture of her with the like jaggedy knife thing. Did you it's, know like, her the then? Why did you see that picture? I've like I think like I've I had read about her before, but I completely forgot it was about. Oh, okay. Because I I recognized her picture for sure once I saw it. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> what a gross bitch. Yeah. Yucky. And I don't know, like, I don't know if the antipsychotics that she was on were actually helping her. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what medication you could put her on to make her not, like, a horrible piece of shit, but. I don't know. You just got to put her on, like, lithium or something and just make her, like, a zombie. I don't but if know. something was, like, working for her and then as soon as she stops taking it, then she just, like, murders a bunch of people in the span Ooh. of, like, a few days. It's, like... I mean, that's the problem with, what? like, a lot of times when, you know, you're on medication for a mental illness and you yeah. feel normal and you're like oh I don't, I don't need this anymore and then right. you go off of it and then that's when bad shit happens right so if your medication is working for you that's great just stay on it then you found like yeah. a really good that means it works you found something that works for you that's amazing and really hard to do just like mm-hmm. keep it going <laughs> right but yeah oh that was a bad one <laughs> yucky i know Let's wash that out of our mind with some delightful Humblebee Herbal products. And for the month of February, they have limited time goodies like a sugar scrub bar, which, you know, like sometimes they have like sugar scrubs that are like oil based and everything Mm -hmm. is all slick and messy and oily. But these have like a soap base. So you're like cleaning yourself while exfoliating with sugar. Cool. So pretty cool. And you get four for $10. It's super wow. nice. It's a great gift. They look cute. Treat yourself. Treat someone you love. Limited time only. February. Check it yeah. out. Get 20% your first order with promo code CRIMINI20 at checkout. Check them out at HumblebeeHerbal.com. Get yourself some bath products. It's worth it. You're worth it. <laughs> 
You're worth it. No, cute. All right, tell me your shitty shit story. Okay. All right, well, I guess I'll tell you my tale. I guess. I guess. Um, (laughs) I got my information from Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and Christchurch City Libraries. Are we going to Australia? How did you know? But no, it's uh-huh. New Zealand. It's actually New Zealand. Oh, fuck. That's embarrassing. Yeah, you I bet. I changed it. They're- oh, do it again. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Christchurch Christ City. Weren't they the ones that like the mass shooting or something? Oh, good. Make me look bad. <laughs> did they? I don't oh, know. Just I cut just- this whole thing. No, cut the whole thing. Cut the whole thing. <laughs> oh, we're going to New Zealand. Oh, yes. We're going Shit. to Z- New Zealand. That's embarrassing. Very embarrassing. I know. Well, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you even knew it was in that area. Listen. Also, for the last one, I'm mad at you because that one time that you couldn't get the name right, and then you just cut it to make it sound like you got it right the first time. <sighs> what? And then mine, I said the name like a million times, and I was like, "Cut it!" And you like didn't cut it, and I was there so like, sound like an idiot. <laughs> sound like a real idiot. <laughs> not cool it sounded funny not cool it was good no it wasn't (laughs) yeah it was perfect damn why am i always one that sounds dumb (laughs) uh okay can we talk about me now yeah fine (laughs) not even you go ahead a story we're going to talk about the murder of honora parker okay okay at about 3.30 in the afternoon on June 22nd, 1954, in Victoria Park in Christchurch, New Zealand, New Zealand, two teen girls came running out of a wooded area to a tea room in the park where Uh-oh. they had been minutes earlier eating lunch. And they were like running and almost out of breath. And one of them said, please help us. Mummy has been hurt, covered in blood. Hmm. <gasps> Yes. Oh, God. Yes. The girls said that she had fallen and hit her head really hard. And Agnes and Kenneth Ritchie, who were the owners of the tea shop, they were like, let's go, let's go try and help. So when Kenneth got to the woman who turns out is Honora. Yeah. Um, he, he saw her and he was like, hmm, I don't know that she could have just slipped and hit her head because she was like really battered like her uh oh she had like tons of uh wounds on her head and neck um and so he called 111 which is New Zealand's emergency contact number <laughs> that was good thank you <laughs> <laughs> and then when emergency services arrived they declared Honora dead at the scene yikes police noticed just like suspicious yeah just like uh Uh kenneth noticed that uh the story the girls were telling didn't really fit what he was seeing Uh she had 45 different wounds on her body (gasps) mostly concentrated to her head and then police also found a bloody stocking with half a brick inside nearby (gasps) Hmm. what hmm what indeed that evening honora parker's daughter pauline parker was arrested for the murder and the the following morning pauline's best friend juliet hume was also arrested and those (gasps) were the two girls that had come running out of the 
woods. How old were they? Um, 15 and 16. Like 15 Ooh. and 10 months and 16. See, this is why I may never have children. Don't ever. Never. <laughs> I don't want to be murdered by them when, yes. I, when they're like 16. That or, or have a fucking... What, psychopath? Are, yeah, a psychopath who's murdering all these other men. Also at like 15 or 16. <laughs> Jesus. Yikes. No, thank you. Puberty's hard. Yucky. Teenagers are hard. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> Being alive is hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. This is a difficult game we're playing here. Indeed. All right, let's go back. Let's go back a little bit. What? Before the murder. Okay. Okay. A little bit about these girls. So Pauline Parker was born on May 26, 1938, and she was the second daughter to Honora and Herbert Reaper in Christchurch, New Zealand. Honora and Herbert were, for some reason, never able to actually marry. So like everyone knew them as the Reapers, but um, mm-hmm. when this case got brought to court, it came up that they weren't actually married, so they refer to her as Parker, which is her maiden name. Okay. So that's why they call her Honora Parker. Whatever. It doesn't really matter, but that's why the names are a little different. So at the age of five, Pauline was admitted to to a hospital for osteomyelitis, which is a bone marrow infection. Yikes. And she survived the painful treatments, but always experienced pain in her legs throughout her youth. Mm-hmm. So because of this, she didn't really partake in any like group activities or sports or, you know, physical things. Yeah. So she was really interested in art and writing and she wrote all the time. Like she journaled all the fucking time and wrote mm-hmm. stories and all this stuff. Okay. So... <laughs> A couple articles refer to or des- describe her as dark and dumpy. <laughs> oh, which is like that is harsh. How fucking rude. She's just like okay, because then they describe um, Juliet Hume as like tall and beautiful, and oh, like God. they're just kind of like opposite. Like Pauline is just like shorter, and she's got like you know dark hair, and like she's dark and dumpy. whatever. But they call her like dark and dumpy. That is so rude. <laughs> <laughs> and because she was like poorer, like she was poor, and Julia f- came from money, so like they all, you know, they had like clothes that reflected their economic status, right? So apparently, she was dark and dumpy. <laughs> mm, okay, that's yeah, okay. <laughs> Just like rude. And then, even though her parents weren't particularly religious, Pauline and her sister Wendy attended the East Belt Methodist Church. And they would also go to, like, church outings and events with... I, I'm okay. sure they had, like, you know, youth outings and shit like that. Well, they're um, they're the poorer ones. Yes. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. They get, you know, as, like, kids, you want to be, able to be do part of a group. And, and, yeah, I get to do things. And and they what, probably had, like, some fun outings or, like, right. picnics or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And then um, Mr. Parker owned a successful wholesale fish business. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure the house (laughs) smelled delicious. Oh, God. So she's probably a dark, dumpy, fishy-smelling girl. (laughs) For sure she always smells like fish. That is just like, you're going to get teased so hard. (laughs) That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. 
She attended Christ Church Girls High School, and that is where she met her best friend, Juliet Hume. Juliet had been born in England, and she too had been hospitalized as a child, but hers was for tuberculosis. Oh, God. I know. So obviously they like bonded over their illnesses. But anyway, Juliet's mother, Hilda Marion, and her father, Dr. Henry Rainsford Hume. Goodness. Uh, Yes. Dr. Henry was one of England's leading mathematical scientists during World War II. Damn. And the only reason that they decided to leave England and head for New Zealand was because doctors thought that the clear air and the warm climates would be good for Juliet's tuberculosis. Yeah, I could see that. You don't want them to be in like a uh, damp environment. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And also, you want them living in a dumpy place. Well, I mean, they're already (laughs) dumpy looking. You can't have them in a dumpy place, too. It's just bad looks all around. Wait, I thought that the other one was dumpy. Oh, yeah, she's not dumpy. That's right. That's right. Can't have two dumps. (laughs) So, uh, before they moved to New Zealand, though, Juliet had been. She had been living in South Africa at one point and then in the Caribbean islands at another point. Just kind of same thing for her health. Like uh, they had family in South Africa. I'm not sure who they knew in the Caribbeans, but she went and lived with some family members and then they all decided to move down to New Zealand and, you know, help her out. So when she was 13... They moved, and her father was appointed to rector at the University of Canterbury. So the family moved to Christchurch, and um, when they got there, they were pleasantly surprised because apparently Christchurch is basically England in New Zealand. Like oh weird! All the they said like all the cars were like kind of the same. All the houses were kind of the same. Like it just looked like England when you went when you go to this place. Weird. So they felt very at home. And then, okay. and Dr. Hume was making really good money being the rector. I um, don't know what that is. I'm just okay. going to keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something about like being, um, kind like the dean maybe, maybe, or like, like one of those, one of those like professors that's like paid to study, you know, Oh, okay. kind of a thing uh-huh. like that where like, he's like a master of like mathematical science or something and they're like okay you're gonna make money doing stuff for us i don't know i'm making that up maybe mom will tell us if we're wrong does she know what it is mom what's a rector (laughs) so he was making such good money that he was able to move his family into a 16 room stone mansion (gasps) called ilum what the i mean you know you've made it when your house has a name Okay, when I think of things like 16-room mansions or whatever, I always think, how can you afford to keep it heated in the winter? How do you afford to keep it cool in the summer? And how do you keep that shit clean? Uh, well, a lot of fireplaces, a lot of maids, <laughs> and uh, I don't know about the... wood, co- though. I mean, it's a, it's a stone mansion, so, like, you know, it probably stays cool inside. I feel like that would be pretty, like, dank and damp. Oh, but you got like the New Zealand air. 16 room. For what? Him, his wife, and his daughter? Yep. <laughs> Holy shit. 
And Hilda was, so the mother Hilda was prominent in welfare work and in cultural movements, which they oh. didn't expound, expunge, expound upon. Yeah, not expunge. Expunge. <laughs> exp, exp, they didn't talk expound. about it. Yeah. So I don't know what kind of movements she was into, but okay. you know, she was doing she her really thing. She probably did like charity work. and. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Because he's making all the money so she can like right. go do like the charity and whatever. Right. And so yeah, they enrolled Juliet into the all girls high school and the two girls meet. And like I said, they became instantly like best friends and they bonded because they were both sick children and they could relate to each other, like growing up in hospitals and probably both hated sports. They both hated sports. They actually both (laughs) really liked writing. They were both really into writing and Mm -hmm. they Finally, like they both felt like they finally found someone that understood them. Yeah, they're like, yeah. I'm not the only weirdo. I'm another, right? And um, they kind of like, they also kind of like romanticized the idea of being sick mm. in a weird way. Well, it could be like, you know, that could be part of their. Well, we were ill, so now yeah. we're like better. Right, we're better people, and like we know what it's like to suffer. And mm. yeah kind of a thing and they would like spend all their time together at each other's houses and they would write together and they were actually writing like novels and poems damn and they talked about their dreams to each other and then they even developed their own little world where (gasps) they renamed themselves gina and deborah okay which like they were okay that was like their pet names for each other and it's like pick a cooler name like (laughs) megatron or something like gina you could pick any name but that's like an otherworldly name you know (laughs) like that's the thing maybe just like not a lot of name choices i don't know i they looked in the book of names and they're like well (laughs) Not many choices here. I mean, you're authors. You're both writers. You think yeah, you'd be a little more make creative. up your own name. I don't know. But they went okay. by Gina and Deborah because they're wild childs. Wild That's childs. Right. Anyway, they also created a religion between the two of them. And they... Okay. So, like, in all your free time, in all your imagination, you're like, we're going to form a religion. hmm Okay. Red flag. <laughs> Hey, many people have made a lot of money doing that, so. I mean, I remember being little, though, and we never played pretend religion. (laughs) That's not true. Except for the host and the Necco wafer host. Necco wafer's playing We didn't make up a religion. We just, you know, it was like a natural progression. Maybe we just weren't creative enough. They looked like tasty hosts, so. Mm, They were. I missed Neckos. I think I'm the only person in the world that says that. No, I loved those. They were so good. Oh, God. Factory Bring shut them down. Shit. Bring them back. Ugh. We need those chalky wafers. I love a good chalky candy. <laughs> What's wrong with so me? Good. I do have stomach issues. Then maybe that's it. <laughs> but, well, and the, another thing is, like, you know, they're bonding over their illness and, like, they're, they're basically creating their own truth of the world and so i think like Mm -hmm. religion kind of goes hand in hand with like creating your truths and being like this we can i mean we can do this i guess they just don't sound like very much fun no no well they rejected christianity and then and then worshipped their own saints which also yeah debbie and Jeannie. 
Which I thought that Christians don't worship saints, and that's a Catholic thing, right? First of all, First no of one all. worships saints. I mean, it's Second like... Second of all... <laughs> you pray to the saints. I don't... Right. Christians yeah, don't a, do that. It's, it's a no, Catholic they don't. Thing. It's a Catholic thing, for sure. So whoever wrote that is wrong. They oh. rejected Catholicism. Yeah, school them. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Christians might have saints. I don't... I don't... Well, they don't... Maybe they, like, acknowledge that people were sainted, but they don't, yeah. like, pray to them. Like, Catholics, there's, like, a saint no. for everything that you pray to. Well, they don't, like, wear their patron saint of whatever right. necklace. Right, exactly. Right. Okay. So, anyway, that doesn't matter at all, but... Right. <laughs> they <laughs> they created this world just for them in a parallel dimension that they called the fourth world, which was their version of heaven. They live in the fourth world? No, like they would talk about the fourth world and it was like where okay. they would want to be. And then they would, they said that like oh. occasionally they would reach spiritual enlightenment through their friendship and then they could like be in the fourth world. This is so complex. Okay. <laughs> well, they're basically just spending all their time together. They're disregarding school at this point. They're just like hanging out together in their own world, writing about their perceived religions and their like worlds and whatever just like fantasy which is like that's fine if you keep it at that i i guess, guess. <laughs> well okay the thing is they they wanted to one day go to hollywood and <laughs> because they wanted to like publish their novels and they also wanted to become actresses Okay, so that they had is plans. not the place they for you to. You guys are go. way too fragile for LA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, but, I'm too fragile for LA, and I'm not living I mean, in a whole another world. Let's be real; you're too fragile <laughs> for like a town of more than 500. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> Um, no, I'm not. I mean, I just feel like every time I go to LA, if I spend like a day there, then I just like start hating myself, and I'm like, "Where's uh, all this coming from?" And then it's like, "Oh, LA." Yeah, it's it's not my favorite place either. It's kind of a depressing place. It's extremely depressing. Anyway, yeah. I'm just <laughs> well, saying, they they I'm never made saying. it there, so oh, sorry. Okay. You're you're fu- you're welcome. Well, good know. for them. I mean, yeah. good for them. They but I'm just saying they had plans. It's not like they're just, okay. you know, making up religions. Because, like, see, they, they, they're like, we got to fund our trip to the States, right? Ah. And uh-huh. Pauline wrote in her diary, we have worked out how much prostitutes should earn and how much we should what? make in this profession. Whoa. We have Whoa. spent a really wonderful day messing around and talking about how much fun we will have in our profession Whoa! So they're they're you Whoa, know they just jump. Okay, wait. The one is like balling out of control. Yeah, well, and they're talking about is. being sex workers. Yeah, well, because they they know the parents aren't going to give them money to go to America. They want to fucking go, so they're going to have to fund it. And they're like sixteen. How are they going to oh you know? God. What are they going to get money from? Oh my god! Well, not that. Hopefully. <laughs> Well, don't worry. They also began a campaign of shoplifting to get money towards their trip. Okay. Well, that sounds like the safer option. (laughs) (laughs) On May 27th of whatever year this is, I didn't write down, Pauline (laughs) (laughs) Pauline set out alone in the early hours of the morning to rob the till in her father's fish shop. (gasps) 
but the sight of a policeman on the beat caused her to go home and then go to bed. She, okay, her family, like, doesn't have very much money. Yeah. Her dad is a fish wholesaler. Yes. She's, She's going to go rob, rob her dad? Yes. Why isn't the other one robbing her home of 16 rooms? You could steal, like, a really expensive piece of whatever and sell it, and probably no one would notice. <laughs> Instead, the, like, poor well, one is going to, like, buy, Well, I steal. mean, in, here's what I think, because yeah. in the till is actual cash money that you can take and put in your little Hello Kitty wallet and go. At uh, yeah, Juliet's place, you're going to have to fucking pawn shit. And who's How got hard time is it for to that? Pawn things? <laughs> I don't know. Have you tried? You didn't even know what fencing was. <laughs> Look, I know there are pawn shops and you can bring stuff there and they'll give you a shitty well, price for your I thing. I don't know what the pawn shop situation in New Zealand in the 1950s was, but <laughs> 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 should have done better research, good apparently. Point. Yeah, good point. <laughs> um, so their main, uh, their main object in life was to be together. To share their thoughts and dreams and secrets and plans. This is a tight bond. Oh, yeah. They were inseparable. So okay. much so that their parents found their relationship odd. A little and unnerving. often tried to separate the two. Ooh, that's not going to work. And they were kind of worried that these may be lesbians. Ooh. Ooh. The L word. <laughs> Oh, no. Yikes. Not lesbians. Not anything but that <laughs> but really well they're... okay i understand their concerns yeah. because it does seem like their relationship is kind of strange yeah but like, trying to tear them apart is not gonna help no it anyone. never works never works yeah but yeah they're like they're like you're 16 and 15 you should be like trying to go on dates with boys and stuff and you're like ditching class to hang out with this other girl and you guys are like making fantasies about like your own saints and calling each other Gina and Deborah. It's getting weird, yeah. guys. <laughs> it's getting real weird. <laughs> Let's rein it in a little. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, obviously their schoolwork is suffering because they're not really paying attention in school. Well, they're planning on their sex work right. escapades. Right. And then their parents are like, escapades. Escapades. You lesbians need to do better at your schoolwork. Maybe we should separate you. Uh, mm-hmm. It's bad. You know, we see you like spending days at the Hume mansion, wandering around, writing, whispering to each other, giggling. Oh, no, not the giggling. No. And like during long breaks, like summer breaks from school, Pauline would basically live in Ilum, the mansion. Well, with sure. The Humes. Yeah, why not? You got 16 yeah. rooms. You, how could you even tell you that she was there? Yeah. I mean, look, your best friend lives in like a cool mansion and you live in a house that probably smells like fish all the time. Yeah. And I'm sure like this mansion had like grounds so you could like wander yeah. around and like go. You probably have your own wing of the mansion. Yeah. And just be like, uh, I'm going to be in these four rooms. Which I'm sure Don't bother helped, me. helped with their isolation together because they could yeah. literally just like wander off and not see anyone for a while. Well, yeah, and who knows? Her parents are probably busy doing their, like, math genius thing and their, like, charity events mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. Sure. And, like, Pauline kind of felt that the Humes were, like, her second parents. Yeah, of She course. spent so much time at their house. And Pauline's parents, like I said, were getting more concerned about this connection the girls thought or had, and they looked into... Um, 
or they they hired a psychiatrist who like basically didn't really talk to Pauline. They kind of he kind of like talked to the parents and they told mm. him the concerns and then he was like probably a homosexual situation. <laughs> so they were like, "Oh no, we must get these girls apart. Not homosexuals." <laughs> So, and like, they, like I said, they never even talked to the girls about it. They just like, they were like, yeah, well, that's healthy. The psychiatrist I was said. gonna be like, oh, the parents are doing the right thing, you know, they're like seeking help for their child to figure out like what's underlying, but no, it's no, just, they just more wanted like, to I'm gonna give you a diagnosis their, of a lesbian yes, and yes. move on. <laughs> just gonna need to take three Advil a night and uh, <laughs> sleep with some charcoal under her pillow. Uh, you wanna bring in a priest for an exorcism <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you're gonna need a lot of holy water basically the devil is inside your child just like bathe her in holy water and yell some prayers at her Mm -hmm. and you know it works every time do the advil and she should be good (laughs) yeah because basically at the time you know homosexuality was classified as a mental illness so they were like oh no we don't have these mentally ill children let's try and separate them or something and then in the meantime that will cure the gay yeah it always does you should send yeah, them to like a conversion course. camp that works every time. You just like separate them from mm-hmm. who they find attractive and mm-hmm. then they're not gay anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's like because I mean, they're not really gay. It's just temptation by the devil. Well, first of all, get those girls out of that all girls school. That's the real issue. here. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. It really creates some issues. Yeah. Um, it can. <laughs> So in the meantime, during this, like, uh, like uh, Pauline's parents and Juliet's parents are kind of talking back and forth of like, how do we get these girls apart? Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, Juliet's parents decided to get a divorce because Mrs. Hume was having an affair. Ooh. Naughty, naughty. Well, she's got a bunch of free time. She well. does. And apparently this guy, like... Uh, man, lived I wish, in one of the rooms basically, of the mansion. Yes. I wish that I wrote down what the guy did, but he basically like lived in one of the rooms of the mansion. Yes. And then actually uh, Juliet caught them in bed together. Ooh, yeah, that's not which good. Is like, ooh, oh, yikes. That hurts. <laughs> and so... Doctor- I mean, seriously, they could each have like, you know, three people hidden in that house that the other one wouldn't know about. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Make use of the rooms. That's right. So Dr. Hume decided that it would be best for him to resign his position and return to England because England was like, we could really use that scientific talent because he was going to help do some atomic research. Ooh. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we could use your help. And he was like, I am going to be there soon. Hooray. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Hume was going to stay with her new lover. Oh. But then they also decided that the kids... Oh, I guess they're... Um, sorry, Juliet had a brother, but he's not really mentioned much. But oh. <laughs> um, okay. Dr. Hume decided, like, well, this is a good chance to get Juliet and Pauline separated. So yeah. I think that Juliet should go to my family in South Africa. Because mm-hmm. then she gets, that like, the go good air, well. and, That's you know, right. it's great. Mm-hmm. All, you know, then she can become straight, and... You know, yeah, that's the that's biggest concern. Work out really, really. well for everyone. <laughs> yeah, and th- so then he like told the kids, you know, because I guess oh he's gonna take the son back with him or something. I don't know. 
Okay. The one, the mom was just like, I'm going to live in this mansion with my new husband. I don't know. Well, whatever. The kids are going with the dad. Right. Get the kids elsewhere. Yeah. Get them out So the girls soon learned of the plan and yeah, they tried, they were like, oh, shoot, like, go, I'm going to go to South Africa. And Pauline was like, well, I, I should go with you. Like, wouldn't it be, make sense? Like, we could go together. And uh. so they, like, asked their parents, like, can we pretty please go? <laughs> and their parents were like, fuck no. Hell They're like, this is the whole no. reason you're going yeah. to South Africa is to get away from each other. Yeah, we're going to de-gay you. So, <laughs> no. Yeah, we're going to separate the gay away. And then both sets of parents were kind of like happy that, you know, this obsessive yeah. friendship would end. And maybe, sure, get rid of your child's only friend. Yeah, and then maybe the it's girls great. could focus on school and lead normal yeah, lives. Yeah, because then all of a sudden they're going to be like normal. Well, yeah, I mean, they, sure. they just got to snap out of it. It's the mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shake it out of them. <laughs> shake it out. So according to Pauline's diary, the... Oh, so like obviously they the girls were like devastated when they were like you're yeah. gonna be separated. So according to Pauline's diary, the two began to plot the murder of Pauline's mother, Honora. They thought for sure that if she were dead, the Humes would take pity on Pauline and offer to take her with them, or to or the two could escape to the United States together. On I just- that's weird. Right. I didn't understand it either because it seemed like, um, isn't your dad still there? But maybe because like well, he maybe was he couldn't, like, working all it. the time. So he would be like, oh, it'd be easier for me if you could be taken care of because I got your older sister. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. On June 19th, Pauline wrote, our main idea for the day is moiter. Always the Brooklyn rendition of the terrible word which Pauline could never bring herself to write. She would write moiter. (laughs) Oh, real mature. Yeah. She said, we've worked it out quite clearly. Can you imagine like she's talking to her friend with her like New Zealand accent and then she just like throws out moiter. Moiter. And they're like, what? (laughs) Like you're actually going to take someone's life, but you can't say the word. Yeah. Mm. Well, then you know you shouldn't do it, right? Yeah. So here are some excerpts from her diary. On February 13th, she said, Why could not mother die? Dozens of people, thousands of people are dying every day. So why not mother and father too? Oh, my God. On, On April 28th, she wrote, Anger against mother boiled up inside me. It is she who is one of the main obstacles in my path. Suddenly a means of ridding myself of the obstacle occurred to me. The next day she wrote, I did not tell Deborah, Juliet, of my plans for removing mother. The last fate I wish to meet is one in a borstal. I am trying to think of some way. I want it to appear either a natural or an accidental death. Well, you failed at uh, on both June nineteenth. She said, "We practically finished our books, which were the novels that they were writing." Yeah. Um, today, our main Ike for the day is to moiter mother. The notion is not a new one, but this time it is a definite plan, which we intend to carry out. We have worked it out carefully and are both thrilled with the idea. Naturally, we feel a trifle nervous, but the pleasure of anticipation is great. And then the next day she wrote, we discussed our plans for moitering mother and made them a a little clearer. Peculiarly, peculiarly enough, I have no qualms of conscience 
Or is it peculiar we are so mad? The next day she wrote, We decided to use a brick in a stocking rather than a sandbag. We discussed the moiter fully. I I feel keyed up as if I was planning a surprise party. So next time I write in the diary, mother will be dead. How odd, yet how pleasing. And then the next day she wrote, I am writing a little of this up. I am writing a little of this up in the morning before the death. I felt very excited. And the night before Christmassy last night, I did not have pleasant dreams, though. Why didn't they just like run away? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know. None of, yeah. Or like the one goes to South Africa. Why doesn't she like, you know, get money from her parents or whatever and buy the other one a ticket or something? I mean, it just wasn't thought out any of it. Well, clearly, because why her mother? Oh, yeah. Oh. She felt for some reason she felt that her mother was the one that was like, like, maybe her dad would say yes or something, but her mom was like, hell no. I don't know. Like, she was the one mm-hmm. that she perceived as holding them back from their dreams. Weird. So, you know, the girls... So back to, like, the girls being arrested, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the... Uh, I think it was the prosecutor... Prosecuting attorney said... You will hear that Juliet Hume carried a small pink stone to Victoria Park. The theory of the crown is that she would place it on the path and that Mrs. Parker would be asked to bend down and examine it. While she was doing so, Pauline Parker, armed with a brick and a stocking and standing behind her mother, would strike her a heavy blow in the back of the neck and kill her. Oh, God. The two girls would then arrange the body in such a position as to give the impression of an accident. Their plan miscarried. Perhaps Mrs. Parker did not bend far enough and so received repeated blows, causing the terrible injuries she received. Evidence was given that a brick and a stocking, on both of which were blood and hair similar to that of the dead woman, were found beside the body. Both girls were hysterical when they reported the death at the tea house. They both had blood on on their faces and clothes. They told the woman at the tea house that Mrs. Parker had slipped on a plank and bumped her head on a brick as she fell and that her head kept bumping and banging. A doctor. horrible. (laughs) Yeah. A doctor who had been called to the scene said that he found that he could not explain the woman's injuries as having been caused by a fall. So he informed the police. The pathologist who examined the body of Mrs. Parker said that death was had resulted from multiple head injuries and a fracture of the skull. There were 45 discernible injuries, 24 being lacerated wounds on the face and head. Oh, God. The, the injuries showed that a crushing force had been applied while the head was immobile on the ground. Oh, God. If the brick had been in a stocking and swung with considerable force, it could have caused the injuries. The bruises on the throat indicated that Mrs. Parker had been held by the throat... A laceration on the finger suggested she received the injury when she put up her hand to defend herself. Senior Detective Brown gave evidence that his interview with Pauline Parker uh, gave evidence about his interview with Pauline Parker after her mother's death and about a statement she made. At first, she said that her mother had slipped and hit her head on a rock or stone. Then when he told her 
We believe the girl Hume was not present when the fatality occurred. She looked surprised and then said, and, or I, I then said, you are suspected of murder of your mother. She made no reply. I told her that she needed not, she need not say anything, but she could make a statement if she wished. She said, no, ask me questions. The statement that resulted was as follows. Question, who assaulted your mother? Answer, I did. Why? If you don't mind, I don't want, I, if you don't mind, I won't answer that question. What? When did you make up your mind to kill your mother? A few days ago. Did you tell anyone you were going to do it? No. My friend did not know anything about it. She was out of Uh. sight at the time. She had gone ahead. What did your mother say when you struck her? I would rather not answer that. How often did you hit her? I don't know, but a great many times, I imagine. And what did you use? A half brick inside the foot of a stocking. I took them with me for the purpose. I had the brick in my shoulder bag. I wish to state that Juliet did not know of my intentions and she did not see me strike my mother. I took the chance to strike my mother when Juliet was away. I still do not wish to say why I killed my mother. Did you tell Juliet you killed your mother? She knew nothing about it. As far as I know, she believed what I told her, although she may have guessed what had happened, but I doubt it, as we were both so shaken that it probably did not occur to her. Why did Juliet tell the same story as you to the lady in the tea kiosk? I thought she simply copied me. Or I, I think she simply copied what I said. She might have suspected what I had done, and she would not have wished to believe it, or nor have got me into trouble. As soon as I had started to strike my mother, I regretted it, but I could not stop. <gasps> At the police station, a piece of paper oh which she had tried to burn was taken from Parker. On it was written, I am taking the blame for everything. Detective Sergeant Tate told of his Uh. interviews with Juliet Hume. She made two statements. According to the first, she was not with Pauline when Mrs. Parker was killed. She was further up the path. She came back to find her lying on the ground. Pauline told her that her mother had slipped. She said that she had... uh, She said that she had said that she was there at the time to support Pauline's story... The next day, on the 23rd of June, Juliet apologized for misleading him and said that she now wished to tell the truth. In her second statement, she said that they decided to go to Victoria Park with Mrs. Parker to have it out with Pauline accompanying her to South Africa. She knew that it was, she knew that it was proposed that we should take a brick in a stocking to the park with us. I had a part of a brick which I wrapped in newspaper. I know the brick was put in a stocking at at uh, Pauline's house. I did not I did not put it there. Wait, Juliet brought the brick? Yeah, Juliet uh yeah, said that she had part of a brick which she wrapped in newspaper. I don't hmm. know. Maybe, uh, she said that it was proposed that she that we should take a brick in a stocking to the park. I had a part of a brick, which I wrapped a newspaper. I knew the brick was to put in a stocking at the Reaper house. I did not put it there. So I guess, yeah, she brought a brick. She said She's that... She's like, oh, I brought a brick, but I didn't know what it was for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh... No, She said that in Victoria Park, there was a pink stone on the path. I dropped it there myself. On the way back, on the way back, I was walking in front I was expecting... Okay, because they passed through there. They went to the tea shop mm-hmm. for lunch, and then they were heading back. 
And so she like dropped it when they were heading there for lunch. Um, and then she said, on the way back, I was walking in front. I was expecting Mrs. Reaper to be attacked. She continued, I heard noises behind me. It was, it was loud conversation and anger. I saw Mrs. Reaper in a sort of squatting position. They were, they were quarreling. I went back. I saw Pauline hit Miss Reaper with the brick in the stocking. I told, or I took the stocking and hit her too. I was terrified. I thought that one of them had to die. I wanted to help Pauline. It was terrible. Mrs. Reaper moved com- convulsively. We both held her. She was still when we left her. The brick had come out of the stocking with the force of the blows. Later in the statement, Juliet said she was not quite sure what was going to happen when they went to the Victoria Park. I thought maybe we had been able to frighten Miss Reaper with the brick and she would give her consent for Pauline and I to stay together. So they're like, oh, we're going to uh, threaten her with a brick. And then she's going to be like, okay, you guys are totally sane to be together. You guys are serious about it. I guess so. <laughs> Shit. She said, after the first blow was struck, I knew it would be necessary for us to kill her. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. So like one of some some psychiatrist or whatever said that the girls were mad and that they suffered from a form of insanity Possibly fully ado. Uh, hey, how do you keep getting these? I don't know. They were a couple of paranoics, as all the evidence had gone to show. They suffer from paranoia, said Dr. Bennett, who was the family doctor of the Parkers. They suffer from paranoia and follow delusion wherever it is. They become antisocial and dangerous. They think they are superior to the general race of men. Intellectually, they are a little higher than girls of their own age, but they're not intellectual giants. They had delusions of grandeur, formed a society of their own, and lived in it. In this society, they are no longer under the censor and nagging of mothers. The day we killed Mrs. Parker, Juliet added, I think she knew beforehand what was going to happen, and she did not bear any grudge. She's like, I think she knew. Uh, She was totally fine with us murdering her. Psycho. She didn't blame us for it. She Uh, knew. She knew it was coming. You can't keep us apart. Wow. The Crown called its own medical witnesses, because that was just like the family doctor or whatever. Right. The first senior medical advisor of Avondale Mental Hospital of Auckland, Dr. K.R. Stallworthy, who had examined each girl four times in remand prison, um, and he had read the diary... Uh, Pauline's diary and was quite sure yeah was quite sure that neither girl had a disease of the mind and that Mm -hmm. each had known the nature and quality of her act they had written down what was going to happen they had given clear accounts of what they had done they knew it was wrong to murder they knew they were murdering someone they knew it was against the law a primary requisite for paranoia was the presence of delusions which he did not admit which he didn't find with these girls. Juliet's mental caliber was that of a highly intelligent person of much greater age. Pauline's intelligence was considerably above average. And she was Hmm. dumpy. And (laughs) Pauline said, Pauline said the doctor, Pauline said the doctor showed signs of remorse only when she told him that how she tried always to sleep on her left side. When she slept on her right, her mother seemed to come back. However, the girls believed that, yeah, whatever. The girls believed that by their own standard, what they had done was morally right. 
Pauline had told him that she and Juliet were sane. Everyone else was off the mark. The views uh, of Juliet and herself were much more logical and sensible. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume pled insanity. Mm. And then the jury was out for like two hours. <laughs> and they returned to the uh, courtroom and the jury said that like the girls were like smiling and laughing. Oh God. (laughs) So gross. They were tried together. That's like, but they had their own, um, they each had their own lawyers. Right. But the fact they were like, even in the courtroom together is kind of like iffy. Yes. They were found guilty of what was, according to the Crown Prosecutor, a callously planned and premeditated murder committed by two highly intelligent and perfectly sane, but precocious and dirty-minded girls. <laughs> dirty-minded. <laughs> and the one so dumpy. And that dumpy one. What's up with her? <laughs> oh. They sent Pauline Parker to... Arohata Borstal near Wellington, New Zealand, New Zealand's capital city, and uh-huh. Juliet Hume to Mount Eden, the grim prison at Auckland where all New Zealand's hanging is done, and Ooh. where in her first year of sewing uniforms, there were four evening executions on, on New Zealand's portable steel scaffold, which is like so cute, a little portable hanging place. Uh, that's not... <laughs> what? Um, and then at Orohata, Pauline Parker studied for a year under the government's correspondence school. And in her cell, she sat for her school certificate. She graduated high school and passed... Uh, well, of course she passed. She graduated high school. Mm-hmm. In her first day in Mount Eden, in her prison dress of blue denim, Juliet Hume was introduced to the sewing machine and to enable her... Because at first they put her to, like, hard labor. And then yeah. she was like, um, I'm, like, kind of sick and, like, don't feel good. So they were like, okay, you can sew uniforms. Wait, so the one got to go to school and the other one has to work? Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't That's know. So I don't weird. know. I don't... Uh... I don't know if, like, they were both off or... I have no idea. They're different prisons. I don't know. Yeah, the one gets sent to, like, the worst prison. And the other one is like, oh, would you like to educate yourself? (laughs) What? That's so weird. Well, also, I mean, Juliet also, in her cell, writes and knits. And then she also studies languages. (laughs) So she was studying uh-huh. too, but I don't, I don't okay. know. Okay. Maybe she completed her degree. I don't know. Okay. But uh, so, yeah, when she refers to the murder, which seems to be fading from her mind, she explains that she participated. Which one? Uh, Juliet. Okay. She explains that she did it out of loyalty to Gina, her dark <laughs> friend, Pauline. And then um, here's a poem that they wrote called The Ones That I Worship. Okay. There are living amongst two dutiful daughters of a man who possesses two beautiful daughters, the most glorious beings in creation. They'd be the pride and joy of the nation. You cannot know nor try to guess the sweet soothingness of their caress. The outstanding Mm. genius of this pair is understood by few. They are so rare. 
compared with these two, every man is a fool. The world is most honored when they should deem to rule. They think very highly of themselves. <laughs> and above us, these goddesses reign on high. I worship the power of these t- lovely two. With the adoring love known to so few, tis indeed a miracle one must feel that two such heavenly creatures are real. Both sets of eyes, though different far, hold many mysteries strange. Impassively they watch the race of man decay and change, hatred burning bright in the brown eyes with enemies for fuel. Icy scorn glitters in the gray eyes, contemptuous and cruel. Why are men such fools they will not realize? The wisdom that is hidden behind those strange eyes. And these wonderful people are you and I. <laughs> Which, like, that's a pretty shit poem, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, I it's think so. not well thought I out at all. I think so. <laughs> well, and also they both admit that they're evil. Yep. Um, and they're like, we're the smartest, most cleverest girls in all the world, and we're evil, too. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, I didn't think that was a very well-written poem. No, it was, like, really, I mean, well, granted, they were, like, 15 and 16, so I guess it's pretty point on, or on, on par for a teen Yeah, but poem. for everyone to be like, oh, they're so exceptionally intelligent. I don't know, but that other one's pretty dumpy. <laughs> she is dumpy, but she's smart. <laughs> so, so what were their sentences? Because they were both like children, basically. Yes. They, I think, I believe they were sentenced to about 25 years, but they both served about five years. <gasps> mm-hmm. What? And after her release from prison, Juliet Hume traveled to the United States and she went on to have a successful career as a historical detective novelist under her <gasps> new name, Anne Perry. She has written and published over 50 books. What the fuck? And has been a Mormon since about 1968. <gasps> in t- in uh, March 2006, she spoke of her relationship with Pauline Parker and said, yeah, it was very obsessive, but we were not lesbians. And um, Who cares? I know. <laughs> I know. What she had to clear fuck? that up. And uh, apparently now she lives in Scotland. And I think she's like remarried or not remarried. She's married. So she got out when she was like early 20s. Yep. yep. Had a successful long career. Mm-hmm. Writing what crime novels. Fuck? And she says, like, she never writes about anything that's, like, anywhere near the crime that she committed. And she's, like, regretful and, you know, is, like, ashamed that that was her. But, yeah, she uh, she's living pretty well. And then Pauline Parker, who now goes by the name Hillary Nathan, which is, like, guys, picking boring-ass names. <laughs> Jesus. But whatever. She spent some time in New Zealand under close surveillance before being allowed to leave, and she moved to England. And as of 1997, she was living in the small village of Who near Strood, oh. Kent. I know, she lives in Whoville. And she, oh. runs, she runs a children's riding school, which I'm assuming is kids riding horses and not people riding children pretending to be horses. <laughs> but you never know in this crazy world. Could go either way. 
Wow. And yeah, she she turned to religion too. She's now a Roman Catholic. And for many oh, years, see, she... Go back to mm-hmm, the saints. Mm, it's all about the saints. You reject them at first, but then they worm their way back into your heart. Oh, they're just so fun. It's like, gotta collect them all. They're like Pokemon, really. Yeah, they're really. like so many of them. Yeah, and they're all yeah. different. They have different powers. It's kind of cool. That's right. You get trading <laughs> cards and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And then for many years, she refused to give interviews surrounding the murder of her mother, And in 1996, her sister released a statement saying that Pauline expressed strong remorse about having killed her mother. And her sister also said that Pauline committed the most terrible crime and has spent 40 years repaying it by keeping away from people and doing her own little thing. After it happened, she was very sorry about it. It took her about five years to realize what she had done. Oh, what, the five years she was in prison? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Then she realizes what she's done, and then she's, like, let out. That's why I'm here. This whole time I thought it was because I wrote a bad poem. Like, what the fuck? Like, her sister, she took their mother away. Yeah. And spent five years trying to figure out that it was not a good thing to do. That by killing your mom, you're not going to get to go on a trip with your best friend. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, isn't that weird? That's so bizarre. That is the craziest story. Because, like, they didn't show signs of violence or anything. They're just, like, I mean, it, like, like, it was a little obsessive, but it also, like, it reminded me of, like, you know, like, you and Arden or something when you're, like, growing up and you're, like, have a best friend and then you guys kind of have your own little world and you're, like, playing these games and, like, writing stuff or, like, you know? Or, like, Courtney yeah. and I, Courtney and I used to, like, write shit and, like, make plays well, yeah. and, like, create fantasy things or whatever and it's like you can get like you're you're really in your own little world and then how it just could be so i don't know well yeah i mean we were in our own little world to the extent that her mom called us the weirdos (laughs) i mean you guys were the weirdos right (laughs) but we had a good time we were always like laughing yeah yeah we always had a good time but like we never got like super extreme. I mean, I always thought, you know, like her family was like my second family. And yeah. Because we spent so much time together. And that's just like how I feel like a lot of kids have that where they have like a second family. Right. At least a second family, you know, but. But we weren't like obsessive. Like, no, if yeah. we weren't allowed to like hang out, it was like, OK, whatever. But I mean, you might pout for a minute and be like, that's not fair. But right, then you'd be like, like, get over it. Oh, yeah. But. Like, I mean, could you imagine just, I don't know. No. Not not the killing part, but like, you know, you're, you finally find someone that you think like gets you. Yeah. No one else has understood. And then, and now, I don't know, you've like created this whole bond with them and now your parents are trying to separate you. And then like, that's what you go to. It's insane. Well, it's just. I mean, it's really crazy because, like, when you are little and or, like, younger and you do, like, you know, like, relationships are really intense when you're little. Yeah. Like, you do form those friendships where you guys are, like, super tight, you know, and you, like, share everything. And, and yeah, you're, like, super imaginative and you do live in your own little world to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And then you, like, have to go home and then, you know, your little world's over until the next time you get to see that person. I mean, how many times do you remember, like going over to a, a friend's house and then like your parents coming to pick you up and you're like let's hide if they can't find us and yeah they won't pick us up and we could stay and spend the night and have a sleepover yeah it's like that never fucking worked but some reason every All time it was plans. like yeah. the goal 
<laughs> yeah, you'd always have a plan or you'd be like, okay, well, I'll ask them in front of the other parents because yeah. they can't say no yeah. like in front of them. <laughs> it's and so it's manipulative. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or or it's like, well, we'll tell them like we're in the middle of the game. We can't leave yet. Like we're yeah. like, right in the middle of it. Like we're they'll understand. We're not finished playing pretend. We can complete <laughs> get this it. saga. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't really understand fully. But where does it cross that line? Like, where does it cross that line from being like normal, normal little kid interaction to like, well, it's now kind of, it's I like mean, turned murderous. It, it's similar in your story where it's like at 15. I mean, that's like the same age where it's like hormones and people are, you know, mental illnesses are showing themselves. And yeah, uh, I don't know, like you're. You have all these like emotions and especially, I don't know, just like going through puberty and you're getting bigger. So now you're like bigger and stronger and you're like unstable mentally and emotionally. Well, I definitely like I'm not, you know, not trying to blame the parents or anything, but I definitely don't agree with them like trying to separate them. Like if their schoolwork is suffering and they're getting kind of like weird or whatever, like maybe try and reason with them and like make deals and be like, hey, if your grades are like below this, well, I you guess, can't yeah, like I guess have sleepovers that, like, or whatever. Before the murder happened, um, one of the mothers was like, I think we're going to put you in a different school. And they were like, okay, that's fine. And they went to another school and like their grades started improving. But then it was like a couple weeks later when they were like, we're going to move. And they were like, nope, can't, um, you've, you've already separated us enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't want to, like, blame the parents, but... No. Like, what's the harm in them having, like, a really best friend? Just, like, try and uh, work with A lesbian? That. <laughs> That's the thing, like, I well, think it's one, just all like, part of... Well, that one, doctor said that they may have been lesbians. Yeah, so. it's partially a sign of the time. We're like, this is a You mental... can't even say the word lesbian, you're, like, choking. <laughs> lesbian! Um... <laughs> No, like, you know, where, like, it was a men- uh, classified as a mental illness, and it's, like, bad, so you're trying to protect your child even though it's doing harm or whatever. Like, you don't know. You're just going off of what the doctor says and what society yes. is telling you. But, ugh. Yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, that sucks that it got so extreme. And that that one's mom was the, like, scapegoat of it all. Yeah. Well, interesting. But, like, they clearly, like, they were clearly young and didn't think it through. Because it's like, what? You think you're going to, like, murder your mom and it's going to look like an accident. And then they're just going to be like, oh, oops. Like, now you get to go to South Africa. Yeah. Like, that's so naive. (laughs) Yes. Very naive. And the what like and then the one being like why didn't I like regretted the like hitting her but then I like had to keep going where it's like no you didn't yeah she said that like um I think later on she said that she really at the moment felt like she well okay she felt when she found out that she was going to be going to South Africa without her friend that she felt like she was somehow abandoning her like it was kind of almost her Mm. fault too she was abandoning her and she was like and she's been with me and through you know with me through so much and like we're here for each other and if I leave like she's gonna have no one and I need to stay for her and like it's not necessarily that I wanted to kill but like in my mind I I already committed to being like her best friend i have to help her that's yeah that's just like they're that young not really understanding because your brain's not fully yeah. formed kind yeah. of a thing 
Well, interesting. Oh. I mean, kind of interesting too, because they only spent like five, five and a half years in prison, and then they never spoke to each other ever again, which is probably a really fucking good thing. But uh, yeah, but yeah, but to have like such an intense bond, and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. well, I mean, that's the kind, that's the thing, though. It's like their intense bond led them to do something that they probably didn't want to have right. to think about ever again. Right. And yeah. Oh. Oh, indeed. That's just amazing, though, that they only spent five years in prison. Mm-hmm. New Zealand. Like, I understand. Yeah, and I do understand, like, children not having, you know, their full brain capacity. Yeah. I mean, their brain's not fully formed. So, like, I do understand having lighter sen- sentences for children. I don't think that children should go away for life because, no. obviously. Yeah. They don't fully understand, like, the gravity of what they're doing. Right. But five years seems like such a short amount of time for something so brutal. I agree. And I mean, I guess not because they never reoffended or anything. But then it's kind of like, is it about rehabilitation or is it about punishment or is it like, what is it about? I guess. Well, I think that it was like, like also just based on the crime. Like, yes, it was a murder, but they don't feel like they're going to be a danger to like other yeah. people in the world like it was like you know a one-time thing where like their child minds thought that this was a good idea and it didn't work out and they've ne- they've b- had good behavior ever since and they've like never offended again in any right. way but yeah how do you how do you know how do you take that chance and know like okay these people are not gonna offend again or these people will or well, and maybe the one being like, oh, if I sleep on the wrong side, like my mom comes back or whatever. Maybe that's partially why. Like she didn't quite grasp the fact that she had murdered her mom. Like maybe she didn't really understand. So, she's so like maybe that did take her five years to be like, oh, yeah. shit, like she's not coming back now that I'm like a young adult and not like a kid. Yeah, She's not coming back. And I did that, right. you know. I don't know. When I was really little, I thought that if I laid on a certain side, I'd have nightmares. So oh, I tried to like only lay on one side to like not because you know how I was like so afraid of nightmares. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I would like go to someone else's house and spend the night, and I'd have to like visualize my bed and like what side I was sleeping on. Oh. Wow. So that I knew like yeah. I didn't realize it was that intense. <laughs> my fear of nightmares. You had, like, ri- you had like rituals that you were doing for your. Well, yeah, because I always had my travel dream catcher, and oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I would have to sleep on like a certain side. Hmm. Not that I didn't like move like a crazy monster in my sleep, which I did. But mm-hmm. if I fell asleep on a certain side, I thought that I wouldn't have nightmares. Hmm. Well, because kids do that; they like have weird associations, like weird little rituals. Yeah, yeah. So it just like goes to show how. Im- they may say she was of above average intelligence, but she was also like extremely immature. Well, yeah, I mean they're still children. They're just yeah. like above average children. And that's just probably because they spent all their time inside like reading and learning. Right. So of course you're gonna be like more knowledgeable. They just had like a bigger vocabulary. For sure. They're using some big words in that poem. <laughs> wow. Crazy. But, you know, they they rhymed daughter with daughter, which is just not impressive. I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fuck. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like, I don't know if they're a tossed salad or a scrambled egg. I feel like they're just children. Yeah. 
who were just so like swept up in their own I think that they tried world. to be they were trying to be a tossed salad by coming up with a conniving way to get what they wanted like and you know right. trying to figure but out But like you said but kids are scheming all the time Exactly And they don't fully know how to scheme because they're not adults yet, but they think they like get little bits and pieces here and there seeing like what adults do. And they're like, oh, this is how it works. Like, this is the way the world works. If they can't see me, they'll think that I'm home already or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. then they won't make me come home. They'll just like forget about me if I'm not like in their forefront. Right. In the forefront of their mind or if I'm not in their like vision or whatever. Yeah, because kids are I like ostriches where it's like if you can't if I can't see you, you can't see me. <laughs> well, even when they have the object permanence, they still think like, oh, well, if I'm not like you'll forget about me. Mm-hmm. Like they just think that their parents are going to forget that they came to pick them up. Yeah. Yeah. If they don't see them or whatever. <laughs> now, what did I come here for? Right. Hmm. <laughs> 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 Oh, crazy. What a story. So you're not going to go to South Africa with your friends. Just don't kill your parents. It's not going to happen. Write a postcard. Get over it. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you know, it's like, it's like Juliet's going to be living in South Africa with her daddy's money. And then dumpy Pauline is going to be left at the fish shop. Can't go to the the mansion anymore. I mean, the other part of it, too, is, like, if if neither girl really had friends before they met each other, mm-hmm. then they both know what life was like before they met, and then their, like, parents are threatening for them to go back into that, like, super lonely place. Yeah. And they finally found someone that they, like, are friends with, and they just, like, really connected with. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's, like, that scary oh my God, I'm going to be alone again. She's going to be alone again. Now I feel responsible for her too. Yep. We can't let that happen. Like exactly. we know what it was like to be alone. We don't want that to happen. Exactly. Ugh, that's just sad. That's it just like sad. a tragic story. I, well, yes, so was yours. <laughs> it's like literally what we do every week. You know, it's depressing. <laughs> really fucking depressing. Damn. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what are we doing? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Oh. Well, let's uh, talk about something less depressing. Let's lighten um, it up. And now for the portion that we like to call Crime and Six, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Let's do some crime any sakes. Let's do it. That was a Whoa. depressing episode so far. <laughs> <laughs> I got this one from APnews.com, and it's in Beaverton, Oregon. <laughs> a car thief who found a toddler in the backseat of a stolen vehicle, drove back and chastised the mother for leaving the child unattended before taking off again, police in Oregon said. The woman went into a grocery store about 15 feet from the car Saturday, leaving her four-year-old child inside with the engine running and the vehicle unlocked, said Beaverton Police Spokesman Officer Matt Henderson. A store employee told authorities the woman was in the market for a few minutes before someone began driving away with the SUV. Once the thief realized the toddler was in the back seat, he drove back, berated the woman for leaving her child unattended, told the woman to take the child, and then drove away in the stolen vehicle. Oh my god, that's terrifying. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, oh that was God. very responsible of them to yes. return the kid and be like, "You're a bad mother." He's like, you're a shitty mother. <laughs> also, I'm still, I'm stealing your car. <laughs> here's, here's this is your kid. punishment. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Mm-hmm. Well, at that um, point, you're kind of like, "Well, at least my kid's back." So yeah, <laughs> can't be that mad about the car. <laughs> Never know. Wow. Okay, and then I got this one from foodandwine.com, another Oregon one. Oregon-based Voodoo Donuts is known as a cult favorite donut joint nationwide, but back in March, one fan went a bit too far to fulfill his craving. Uh According to Eater Portland, a man brandished a hatchet at about (gasps) 3.40 a.m. at the brand's Old Town location, then hopped over the counter and began filling a pink donut box himself. Police reportedly caught up with the suspect about a block away where he was, yes, eating a donut. Oh, he fucking just stole He like needed a donut so badly. <laughs> I wonder what kind he got. Uh, yeah, I was actually thinking about that. Okay. Thanks for tuning in. And Thanks for listening. Check out our sponsor, HumblebeeHerbal.com. They got a lot of really nice things in February that are just happening in February. Check them out. You can get like gift boxes. Use code CRIMINY20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. Check them out. Check them out. Rate, review, um, subscribe as always. Let us know how we're doing. Email us at criminypodcast at gmail.com and we will speak at you next week. Stay safe, be kind. And celebrate Black History Month. That's right. Learn about someone new this month. Do it. Educate yourself. You got time. All right. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. That other one's pretty dumpy. Who cares? What? But we were not lesbians. Keep it classy, yo.